Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Who is Jesus Christ? Many Jews acknowledge that he was a rabbi. Muslims call him a prophet. The Mormons believe that he was created through a relationship between God the Father and the Mother of Heaven. But who do you say that Jesus is? Last week, we examined the scriptures to see who God the Father is and what the Trinity represents. This week, we're going to continue our searching of scripture and truths to understand Jesus Christ. After all, it is so imperative that we know who our God is so that we are not deceived by false teachers and false gods. In addition, we need to know who our God is so we can have that genuine relationship with him, that growing relationship that changes every day, the sanctification of God building himself in our lives so that we can understand him and follow him. Today, we will hear many familiar details about Jesus Christ. So we pray that the Holy Spirit will open your hearts to hear, to see, to know Jesus in a new and different way. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. When we asked who is God last week, we saw that many people might give the atheist's response that there is no God, but you'll hardly ever hear that about Jesus. Most educated people today, and even members of other faiths, agree that a historical Jesus actually existed. But when you ask people, who is Jesus, you can get a variety of interesting answers. Even Jesus asked this question of his disciples when the crowds were murmuring about his identity. Who do the people say I am, he asked. And the disciples listed a variety of possibilities that people had been debating, many even similar to what you might hear today. But then he asked his disciples the most important question, who do you say I am? And there is no more important question for us to answer today, because putting your faith in the correct answer means salvation and eternal life. And Peter had the correct answer. In Matthew 16, you can read the story. Peter responded, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ means the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of the world. And he recognized, too, that he was the Son of God. Now, when we think of Son, we think of someone who's created that's a progeny of the Father. But that is not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, who, by the miraculous birth of the Holy Spirit entering Mary, he was able to become human so that he could die for our sins. You see, God needed the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin. And there's no one that's perfect. Not a person, not an animal, nothing is perfect except God. So that's who Jesus Christ is. He is God. He's the second person of the triune God that we spoke about last time. He's eternally existent. He is fully God and he's fully man. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible for Jesus to be God when God the Father's God? That's something we have to take by faith because the Bible says he's God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. 
Now, that last part is really, really important because not only was he in the beginning and a creator, but apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. All things were created by him. That means that he was not created because he created everything and he would have had to create himself if he was actually a created being. He's not. He's fully God and fully man. Now, it's hard enough to understand the Trinity, but to understand God as human and divine at the same time is really difficult too. But again, the Bible says he is. And we have to take that by faith and know that God required that for the sacrifice for the sin of mankind. And not only were all things created by him, but all things were created for him. So that connotes a deity that that would be created for the God of the universe by the God of the universe. So Jesus is described as creator alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit. And his responsibility, as I've already said, was to come to earth as the perfect God man to save us from our sins, which he did by dying on the cross and then being resurrected from the dead so that he could be the first human, part human, obviously, because he's God, to enter heaven and open the door for you and I to be able to eventually enter heaven. Do you know that no one before Jesus was resurrected from the dead, no one had ever gone to eternal heaven before? They were in a waiting place called Sheol or Hades because they couldn't be resurrected until Jesus was resurrected. That's Jesus' responsibility in the Godhead. So did Jesus ever claim to be God? That's an interesting thing because some will say he didn't, but the Bible says he did. In John 10, 30 to 33, he says, I and the Father are one. Well, that's pretty clear there. That's when the Jews picked up the stones to kill him. They questioned him. You being a man, you're making yourself out to be God. That's why they chose to kill him or put him up to the Romans to be killed because they saw what Jesus said as blasphemy, claiming that he was God. In John 17, 21, Jesus also said that he was God when he said that he wanted everyone to be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He wanted us to have a relationship with him as Jesus has a relationship with him. That's a special relationship. Now, we will not be gods. We can't become gods. We never will. Jesus always was God and always is God. So that sets him apart from us because while he's human, he's also God. While we're human, we'll never be God. We will just have the opportunity to be children of God in order to inherit eternal life. In Colossians 2.9, we're told that in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of deity, not part of it, not a little bit, but all of it. Sometimes people with modern ears, when they hear Jesus say, I and the Father are one, being interpreted by modern people as one in purpose, nothing more than that. But we know that it's more than that because as you said, the Jewish people and the ears that were tuned to scripture and understood scripture and the Messiah and the predictions of that knew that he was claiming to be God because they picked up stones to stone him. That's a pretty emphatic response. And so they knew that they considered that blasphemy and told him it's because you said you were God. And he also called himself I am. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus said to them, 
Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, that's saying that he existed before Abraham, which is impossible, of course, unless you're God. But he also said there, I am. You'll recall that according to Exodus 3, the name that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel in Egypt was I am. So Jesus was saying, I am. And he goes on several times in the book of John to say, I am the living water. I am the true light. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. Several I ams to equate himself with God. And of course, it wasn't just him. The Bible says several places in Hebrews 13, 8, for example, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is only possible if you have that attribute as being God. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, we have a clear explanation there about Jesus. We're told God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir to all things, through whom also he made the world. Again, we have Jesus as the creator, and he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. What that is saying is Jesus is God. He's the radiance of his glory, the human radiance of who God is in heaven because no one has seen God. And when you're an exact representation of something, you're not just a sun or a carbon copy. You are exactly the same. It goes on to say that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Again, that's huge because the word is what Jesus has called is John 1, but the word is how the world was created. That is God's power that comes through the spoken word. And it goes on to finish in Hebrews 1, 3. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. If you studied Revelation and you have a vision of what heaven looks like from what John described in heaven, you have lots of angels and living creatures worshiping God all around the throne. But nobody is seated there except God the Father on the throne and Jesus right next to him because Jesus is God. So we have the same creation power and the same position as God the Father. That's right. There is no question in Scripture as you learn about who Jesus is through the whole of Scripture and also understand that Jesus was first prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 that he would be the Savior of the world. The thread of the prophecies of the Messiah and the fulfillment by Jesus as the Messiah and the return of Jesus Christ runs all the way through from Genesis until you come to Revelation. So you see Jesus throughout Scripture as God as well as as man. So how does he become man? We've already explained, and you know through the Christmas story, that he was born of a virgin. In John 1, 14, after that passage tells us that Jesus is the Word and he's God, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. A lot in that verse, but the Word, which is Jesus, who is God, who's the creator, we've already been told in that passage, became flesh and he dwelt among us and he's full of glory, God's glory. In that passage, he's called the only begotten. Now, some people will say, 
Well, that's he's the only son of God, meaning physical son of God. No, only begotten means he's unique. He's a one of a kind because there is no other God man, only Jesus. And there will never be another God man. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And that's not God's and Mary's son. That's not God's son and the mother of heaven's son. That is God incarnate in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And this is a pre-existent life because the word became flesh. So the word existed before the word became flesh. And it was sent forth, born of a woman under the law, becoming humankind, but still retaining that deity of the life that existed previously to his incarnation. We don't see the name of Jesus in the Old Testament, but we do see the phrase, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ working in the Old Testament, but he's not yet come in the flesh to be our savior. So he's not identified as such until we get to the New Testament. The Old Testament reveals Jesus. The New Testament fulfills who Jesus is. We're told in Philippians 2, 6 and 7, a wonderful passage that says a lot about Jesus. It says he existed in the form of God, but he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is God telling us that because he's God and he chose to humble himself, he's been exalted. He is the Lord. That's name for God. The name Lord is only used to declare Godhood. And then it says to the glory of God, the father, Jesus is the glory of his father. And Jesus is the intercessor that brings us to the father because he's the one who saved us. And when scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, that's worship. And God is directing that kind of worship to his son, Jesus. And yet God will not allow any other God to be worshiped but him. He's a jealous God. We're told in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. We're also told, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet Jesus is going to be glorified, proving that he's God. But there's something different we need to understand about Jesus. Jesus is fully man. But what separates him from us is he was sinless. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is, the devil. We're also told that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus is without sin because he's God. He's separate from anyone else that's ever been on this earth because he wasn't created as we were created. He was God implanted and therefore does not have original sin. But as man, he theoretically could have sinned, but as God, he did not sin. 
And so we have that perfect combination of the one who was perfect enough to die for our sins in exchange for our sin. He was our substitute and satisfied the requirements of God for that sin to be forgiven. And at the same time, walked on this earth, experienced all the things we have experienced and understood the temptations that we go through as human beings. That's what Hebrews 2.18 says. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Again, without sin. So Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. How is that possible? It's not. And yet with God, all things are possible. Even the Virgin Mary asked the angel Gabriel, she said, how is this possible? How can I be the mother of the Messiah since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. So there you have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus to there in the incarnation. And remember what we see throughout Scripture. Mary even said it in this passage. But in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? If God can raise from the dead, and he did, when God parted the Red Sea, which is impossible, he did. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God knows all, then nothing is impossible for him. It's impossible for us, but that's where faith comes in. With God, all things are possible, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, according to Hebrews eleven six. There is no other religion that has a playbook like we do. The word of God that explains God from the beginning explains his love for humanity, his plan for us, even after we sinned. There's no other book except the Bible. So we either believe it or we don't believe it. That's a choice we make. But if we believe it, we have to believe it all, 100% because it's God-breathed, not just pick and choose what we like or what makes sense to us. And we believe it by faith. That's how we believe in Jesus as the second person of the Trinity and as the God-man through faith. And yet, as you said, the more we read scripture, the more we see all of these things woven together, all of these evidences where God is revealing himself to us as these three persons, as one God, which sounds impossible, like you said, but we have to give God credit for being God and being so far superior to us that we can't fathom what his ways are. So we trust in the fact that God is God and we are not. We can understand all of it. And yet it's true. And as God, Jesus depicted himself in so many ways that manifest the attributes of God. One is he's all powerful. In Matthew 28, 18, we're told that all power is given to Jesus Christ. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. And we see that in John 1, 48. He's omnipresent. Well, Matthew 18, 20 reminds us that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in our midst. Well, that means he's everywhere at all times. He's eternal. John eight fifty eight reminds us of that. He's unchanging and he's the creator. He forgives sin. Here we're told in Mark 2, 5, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Only he can do that. He judges. In John 5, 22 and 27, we're told there 
that the father's not even going to judge. He's given all judgment to his son. When we get to the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, Jesus is the judge. Who has the ability to judge other people except God? And then he sends the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit next week. So much to learn about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus sends to us when he leaves so that he can teach us as Jesus was teaching his disciples. And then as man, he had a physical human nature. The shortest verse in scripture is he wept. So he had a feeling, he had emotions that he displayed. He personally suffered. We know that because of his death on the cross. He had physical needs like hunger and fatigue. He had psychological needs, as we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was emotional and he was sweating blood. He had a prayer life. Now, that's interesting. Why does he need to talk to God the Father when he is God? But in human form, he had so many weaknesses and so much of the human nature that he needed to commune with God to have the strength to go through every single day. Again, Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in all things, but without sin. So that proves not only that he's God, but that he's man by using his own words in the scripture. And just going back to that Hebrews passage and talking about what it says, where Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So we have a high priest in the heavens advocating for us who has been a human being in every way that we are, except he was God at the same time. Again, hard to understand, but how beautiful that he identifies with all of our weaknesses and understands what we go through. And Hebrews 7 says he lives to make intercession for us. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We go through Jesus in order to pray to God the Father. Because Jesus is our intercessor. He's our intercessor because he died for us. He's our savior. He gave his life on the cross so that you and I might live. He rose from the dead so that we might have eternal life with God the Father. That's his purpose. We could not have eternity without him. We can't have a relationship with God the Father without Jesus and what he did for us. What we've been talking about is the true Jesus as described in the Holy Bible. This is what we know that God revealed about Jesus. And yet there are other opinions about Jesus, about who he is and what he was like and what he means. I'm just wondering about how we take this true knowledge from scripture and compare it to what other people have to say. First, we have to understand that the Bible is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. When it says all scripture is inspired, it means it's God breathed. That means that the word of God that we use to understand everything that we're talking about on these shows is God breathed. He breathed it into the hearts of the men who penned it on paper so that you and I would have it. So God is telling us about who he is and who his son is and who the spirit is. He's telling us about the Trinity and he's telling us all about his plans for mankind from the beginning to the end. Very important. No other religion, no other denomination, nobody else has a book that gives us such great detail about God. And certainly nobody has a book 
that was written by God. Now you can look at the Muslims. Their book was given by Gabriel to Muhammad. What they believe is that Jesus is a major prophet, one of the thousands of prophets that Islam has. But Jesus is no different than any other prophet. They do not believe that he's God. They don't believe that he's God-man. They don't believe that he died on the cross. He was actually taken off the cross before he died. They don't believe he rose from the dead. And they don't believe that he saved us from our sins. Now that's huge because a Muslim will tell you they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the same Jesus we do. A former Muslim terrorist who was here in Omaha and we met once said that when he moved to the United States and wanted to marry a gal who was a Catholic, the mother was really concerned because he was Muslim. She said, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, oh, yes, Jesus is a great prophet. We revere him greatly. Well, she just assumed that he believed the same thing she did about Jesus. Well, he didn't. So it's important that we ask people what Jesus they believe in. As I mentioned earlier, the Mormons believe that Jesus was created by God the Father and the Mother of Heaven. There is no Mother of Heaven, so Jesus couldn't have been created that way. But if they believe that, that's not the same God that we believe. That does not provide for the incarnation, the virgin birth of Jesus through Mary. That makes Jesus a created being, which makes him out not to be God. They also believe, I'm told, I haven't seen it in their writings, but I'm told through people who have, that they believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers, both created by the same God and mother of heaven. So they believe different things about Jesus than we do. It's important to get to the truth, not just assume that when somebody uses the name of Jesus, they're talking about the same Jesus we are. Unfortunately, a lot of people use the name Jesus as cuss words. And that's a shame because truly, if they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they would show no malcontempt of Jesus by doing that. The true Jesus is only the Jesus of the Bible, God's holy word, not the Jesus of religions. And he is the only way to salvation. Those other claims don't get you to salvation only the Jesus of the Bible gets you there. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's really clear. No one comes to God the Father except through Jesus. And Acts four twelve says the same thing. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which man must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. So I leave you today with Romans 10, 9, and 10 and ask you, will you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because if you do that, Romans 10 says, you will be saved. Now, this isn't just a platitude. This has to be a heartfelt decision. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you recognize him as Lord, your master, the one who leads you and guides you, the one you're surrendering to. And it tells us, for with the heart a man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you will turn your heart to Jesus today, recognizing him as God and as the perfect man who died for our sins and rose from the dead, you 
will be saved. You will have eternity with our God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. That's a decision that you have to make. Jesus has done the work for you. He's drawing you to himself. Will you turn to him today? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.